Welcome to another episode of Behind the Decks. This is a vent music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker, as part of the Just Checking In podcast and presented to you by Vent. Vent is a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. In each episode of Behind the Decks, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode of Behind the Decks is DJ and producer Baltazar. Baltazar is London-based but Swiss-born and moved to London two years ago at time of recording. Marco's career debut started as a live drummer and he toured across the globe, including countries like the USA, China and Dubai as part of his music education. After being behind the decks at main events in Switzerland and London, collaborations with brands like Michael Kors and Versace brought Balthazar to Paris and now London to play and record music. It also helps that the music he makes is outstandingly good house and disco. In this episode we discuss his journey in music and why he made the move to London two years ago with his best friend Jonathan. For issues in the industry we discuss the isolation of studio time and how that can increase with a very strong work ethic as well as the pressure he feels to have to be a jack of all trades in the music industry. For Marco's mental health we discuss self-development, growth, the impact that his parents separation had on him and the influence that his mother had on him in going on this journey from a young child. We also discuss the mental health impact of moving to London and the isolation that he has felt at times since living here, homesickness for his country of Switzerland and his Italian heritage and how he balances that with his Swiss roots. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go Behind the Decks with Balthazar. Marco, welcome to Behind the Decks, mate. Thank you so much for coming on and letting me check in with you. Thank you for coming to my flat in East London, all the way from your <laughs> flat in West London, so I do appreciate that. We had such a great chat off air about music and sort of everything in between, so I know this is going to be a really good pod. First of all, how are you, mate, on this Saturday morning? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. I came across you through friend of the pod, Jade morgan Kelly, who I'm going to see next Tuesday, and any friend of Jade, as I said in my last podcast, any friend of Jade is a friend of mine, so I'm really pleased to share your platform with the listeners, so without further delay... Are you ready? Start the show. Ready, man. Let's go. Let's start the pod as we always do on Behind the Decks by talking about your music journey, Marco. So I ask all my special guests on this series this question first. Tell me how your love affair with music began. What were some of your favourite records, maybe your music idols or inspirations? And how old were you when you first got into producing or playing instruments? Yeah, man. I got started in music when I was about three so very early. Yeah, very early. <laughs> I started with drums because um, I was just picking pans and pots in the kitchen and hitting them with sticks. <laughs> so then my mom bought me a drum kit. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I need to uh, sort <laughs> this out now. <laughs> exactly. So a little Winnie the Pooh drum kit. You know? Oh, I love it. And my dad plays piano and my granddad was also a musician and a singer. Mm-hmm. So they, it kind of passed on to me. I played drums from three, but like not really seriously, obviously. And then I picked it up seriously at 11. 11, 12, I got the first electronic drum kit or something. Started jamming a lot with my dad. Um, How special was that to play? Because your, your dad's a professional musician, isn't it? And you he was played not, with him, right? He's not a professional, but he, he had quite a good level. He used to play in, 
in salsa ensembles and jazz ensembles, so jazz fusion and stuff like that. For me, that's professional. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was, he's good, he's good, he's still good, you know. But he's never played too many gigs or, or tours or stuff like that. But he's a great musician, and um, he also showed me so many music, uh, so many artists and stuff. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it was very special jamming with him. And I didn't realize at the time of course how, you don't. Yeah. It must how be much really of a, for him though, wasn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. it probably, but also just the the musicianship that that provided me with because jamming and just listening to someone else playing and then trading bars of soloing, even if I, I was like twelve, not really good, obviously. But it was just skills that now are part of me, and I'm grateful for that because at the time I I didn't realize mm. that was so important. And then so drums for a bit. So just quickly, was yeah. he your perhaps first music? idol then even if you maybe didn't think about it at the time mm, no my first no? music okay. idol, <laughs> my first music I'm idol, trying to give you some more props there sorry sorry Marcos no worries <laughs> sorry sorry dad love you no my first music idol was Michael Jackson man okay Michael Jackson for sure uh, I remember just listening to his music all the time from eight nine years old off and the wall album I imagine and- yeah this one and and bad and dangerous yeah. it was about the music videos as well like yes. as a kid it blew me away and i kept watching them i realized now the influence it, it has had on my what i like visually mm-hmm. for my own project and mm-hmm. for stuff I, i'm involved with uh, that's crazy so i played drums for for a couple of years in bands at home in switzerland starting to fill it for 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 some artists um, that's a, quite a big thing to do to just jump in a school not many people here like <laughs> jump in a school band and end up supporting big artists man yes yes exactly but you know in switzerland i guess it goes pretty quickly because there's not so many people sure sure which helps um, yeah so you, you have like kind of like this the ceiling is pretty low obviously because it's a small industry but at the same time you get involved in the industry pretty quickly yes so we got started with a couple of friends and at school and i'm still making music with them now in london so mm. that's amazing for how me. did you adjust to that transition because did like did you even think about it was it that age so you just didn't even think oh well i've gone from playing in a school band mm-hmm. to now supporting mm-hmm. fairly big artists or did you feel at the time wow this is quite a big transition i did but it's also when you first get started with music you just do it because it's natural to you or you love it or whatever and then some things happened in my life where it pushed me to take it more seriously and to consider as a my main passion passion and and ambition in life and Mm -hmm. thing that i want to pursue how did you adjust to touring because you were touring with some of these bands too quite an early age imagine your mom and dad were making sure there was a lot of uh protection involved right yeah so there wasn't a band in Switzerland, we played for an artist called Marine, and we started touring in Switzerland. Not tours, but like just shows in every city in sure, Switzerland. Yeah. And then with another band, jazz fusion band called Back to the Lab, that was a trio, instrumental, and we also sing in jazz fusion inspired yeah. R and B soul stuff. So like sort that. of like what Ezra Collective are now in the jazz world. For oh, the UK. it might be inspired by them a little yeah. bit. And then we we had a tour in, in China actually. Did Hong Kong? Wow, and a couple. There's yeah. not a lot of bands who play no. China. It was. It was. It's sick. like Pearl Jam and MJ. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was crazy for us. We were 18 at the time, and it was our first experience of like touring and stuff. So it was definitely something that shaped our vision of what was possible to achieve while playing music. Like, oh, and what side of China did you see? Like, did you see Beijing or did you go to Guangzhou? We did or? four cities. We did Hong Kong. Um, okay, so that's Guangzhou. kind of separate to maybe mainland China. Yeah, yeah no, definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That, that was out of Ch- outside China, and then so Hong Kong, and then Guangzhou, Beijing, and Shanghai. Wow. Um, yeah, five shows. So two in. What was in, Shanghai in like? I've heard just mad stuff like Megapolis and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, kind of yeah, like Tokyo in a little bit, like similar sort. Never of. been to Tokyo. I wish, man. But Shanghai was was 
very impressive. It's not my favorite city from what I've seen. You know, we were just like a mm. couple of days per, per sure. city. But my uncle lives in China, so he was kind of like showing us around. And it was crazy. It was definitely another scale. And when you're there, you feel like it's the center of the world. You always feel like the U.S. Uh, <laughs> are the center of the world. Or now they I, feel I, like already, like <laughs> Yeah, they think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now in London, you feel like London is the, the, the center of I mean, the world. I mean, it's getting there. I think, yeah. think music-wise, I think... Oh, music-wise, I think music-wise, London has a lot more influence than it used to do yeah. and in my personal opinion I think London puts out better music well mm-hmm. the country but London especially because mm-hmm. I've lived here for so long I think it puts out better music in the US right now to be honest for a <laughs> yeah, lot of genres take, not all genres but a lot of genres no uh, yeah I see it especially in hip hop like there's a shift in, oh in, one I don't listen know? to any US hip hop <laughs> uh, I've not listened to any modern US hip hop for a long time mate I think yeah. the last great rapper that I've probably listened to regularly was Chance Mm. But like all the modern stuff coming out now, I, I, I sound kind of old, but I also like don't care. But it's just all <laughs> just really future, like future inspired mumble rap. It's not really for me. Yeah. I just can't hear anything what they're saying. There's no cadence. It's more like based on yeah. flow. It's and, energy, you know, young thug, yeah. future is the energy is the, it's not really the purpose in the words. Or I know, but like, I'm an albums man, man. I'm an I understand that. Man. Yeah, I understand <laughs> that. It's a beautiful side of the music industry. You know? Yeah. And, and so that, that was humbling because we went there with a lot of, ideas of what it, the people would, would be, be like, or the yes, city would yeah. be like just going there was humbling it was ex- an experience and you know openness to to other cultures and and stuff that we didn't know about so it was what great did experience. you take from it as a person because i i guess you could probably take things from it as a musician sure but what did you take <laughs> yeah, from it as a person sure. it's, it's very interesting well that that kind of like openness to cultures i don't know mm-hmm. without taking the ideas I've, i have of them too seriously that's that breaking was, down prejudgments exactly well. prejudgments yeah. but also in china so there's my uncle mm-hmm. and it's it's more of a human thing mm-hmm. but I, I didn't grow up with him and he's a, a hard worker but in the craziest sense like he's he just showed me what it takes to actually achieve a, a dream or to go after something because he, he, he left switzerland to go to china to open restaurants and bars and venues and he just did that from scratch wow and I remember going there and seeing the way he would work as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but also as a manager and as a leader of a group. How he dealt with people. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And also how he did whatever it takes in terms of like learning a skill. So he, he learned how to 3D model on his laptop, you know, do like a, a render of, sure. of the, an, an idea he had for a restaurant, for a venue. And then pilot a drone because he could record crazy videos. And then that is literally a jack of all trades. <laughs> yeah, and then video editing, and then photography, and then music. Because one of his bars has a, a jazz venue, a, a hidden jazz venue in it, and so he he knows how to. Sounds like I got to go mic- to. Sounds like I got to go to Shanghai. <laughs> no, yeah, that's in Guangzhou. It's Guangzhou, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember one night we were so with my bandmates, we were staying in a hotel, and he was there as well. And I remember going to bed, and it was probably eleven or midnight, and the lights were on in his room. And I go check his room and he, he was like eyes closed with his laptop. And I was like, oh, he's probably falling asleep. So I'm just going to turn the light off. And then he just opens his eyes and goes, no, 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 no. I'm just taking a short nap. Oh, God. I mean, I guess that's kind of a con. You don't want to work yourself to death. But yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously you have to keep have a, a balance. balance. Yeah, definitely. But it just showed me how far it was cool to go. Mm. You know, mm. what is needed? You know, you mm. need to learn something. You need to... Mm. And Take doing sacrifice. It, yeah, yeah, sacrifice, yeah. but doing it in a, in a human way and in the way he interacts with other people, maintaining relationships mm-hmm. and just being a good person mm. while doing this was mind-blowing to me. Let's talk about your solo project, Balthazar Now. 
So where did the inspiration for the name come from and how would you describe your sound for listeners who haven't heard of you? Is it yeah. sounds a bit like a parody sort of Pokemon, but it's not a parody Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, man. Could be. It's got a poetic angle. Was that is that how it came where it came from? Maybe like a Shakespearean it's sort Shakespearean. of vibe? I wish, man. No, it's my middle name. Oh, sick. Okay. <laughs> it's my middle name, Baltazar. Uh, and and when I started production at 1617 it was mainly to make beats for other people and mm -hmm. and instrumentals for rappers and then as i went on i started making house music and dance music and then i i understood oh with production i can actually produce the music that i grew up listening to so michael jackson quincy jones <laughs> all these guys and it was like oh i can actually not just do beats or house i can do disco pop music yeah, i can yeah. do different stuff so that was crazy to me and i wanted a name that was a little bit special, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit different. And, and could allow you that creative growth and potential to do all those kind of things mm -hmm. and not pigeonhole yourself, maybe. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's also some, a name that could work with anything. Yes. And it's my middle name. So I was looking for, for a name, for a producer name or something. When I was a kid, I had like a YouTube channel. So I was always looking for, for a name. How, how could I find a name for, for yeah. myself? You know? And I, I tried to hide this name my whole life. Obviously, when you're a kid, your middle sure, name. Yeah. I've, got, I've, got three, I've got three, bro. So. What, are the, what, are, what, are, what are your middle names? Uh, I won't say them on this pod, but they're, they're, it's a long name. It's a long name. Okay. So, you know, people are making fun of you or whatever. So you're trying to... That's why. <laughs> but yeah. I've still got scarred from you. You don't want to say that. I understand. Uh, but then... For me to take that name and make it my artist name meant a lot personal ways. Like it, it was something great to take something that I've been hiding for so long mm. or, you know, you try to, to kind of yeah, hide yeah. it to people and stuff. And then you, you take it yourself. Yeah. yeah. And you take it and you own it. And it's like, that's me. Like that's mm. part of me. And it's um, exposing some vulnerability as well, I guess. And yeah, that exactly. takes a bravery yeah. to do in itself. How, how did your parents react to it considering they gave you it? Uh, it was, I remember they, they were surprised, but also kind of happy. Were they um, proud? Yeah, but I mean, for them, Balthazar is not a name for my family or something oh, important okay. to them. Oh, okay, so right. It's not they some just, really unique name no. that's got he heritage. No, right. it's just, they just picked the name because they liked it. Right. <laughs> and well, that's the, my question, God. <laughs> yeah, and they added a, a D in it at the end, and there's not supposed to be a D in Balthazar. Right, okay. But they did that because probably my mom just wrote it like that. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that because yes. it makes it more unique and it makes yes. it more me. So it makes sense as well. Yeah. 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 So yeah. now it's it's deeply ingrained in me, and mm. I guess it's yeah, it's something it's something cool to to have that name and to be like, oh, that's that's not something that's that me. I came up with. Yeah, you I know? love that. I always ask this question on Behind the Decks, Marco, to expose the myths and show the realities of being a producer or DJ in the scene, and that the superstar DJ life, in quote unquote is only really applicable to a tiny minority of producers. And even when it is, it's not all it's cracked up to be. There's a very dark side of it, as mm -hmm. we know. So what are some of the realities that you can share with the listeners that maybe your friends or your family or even your, your fans might not know when it comes to work-life balance or relationships, friendship, or something else entirely? Something that my family may not be aware of is how much energy making music or preparing, getting a set ready or producing or mixing whatever you do if you're so passionate about it whenever i work i get so into it and i put so much of my energy into it then there's a little latency when i go back to talking to people <laughs> and sometimes you get just so caught up and you get you know in your zone and mm. it's like everything around you is kind of blurry and mm. so you might i might like see a text from someone mm -hmm. a friend or a family member and see it and literally put my phone down because I'm so You're distracted. I'm yes. so, yeah. yeah. 
distracted is not the right yeah. the right word i'm so focused on what i'm Single-minded, doing minded something exactly like that. so yeah. I, anything else become becomes kind of you know f- for the amount of time i'm working it's like you're positively distracted like, there so yeah. everything else feels like a negative distraction almost yeah but it's yeah. not i know it's not negative and i want to repress exactly, exactly exactly it's very but i might say, not yeah. until until i come you've down come out of, of that you've the producer and dj mode, exactly yeah. and what and that's regardless of the activity so it, it might be getting a set ready for for a dj set or um, yeah, you always need to kind of like... You need to come out of the matrix at some point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it takes a little bit of time. And sometimes yes. in a day where I could work like 10 hours of music, whatever mm-hmm. I'm doing, it could be drums, producing, DJing, whatever. So that takes all of my day. Yes. Sometimes during the whole day, I'm in that zone. Mm. I might go and get some a little food or whatever, do something But you're still else. in the zone. You're but still, I'm still yeah. kind of, you know, in my head and thinking about music, stuff. Music, music, music. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a non-stop thing. So it's, that's why sometimes, sometimes I reply super late. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, and for a whole day because you know when you're studying and you're making music on the side is different than when it's your whole life and your day-to-day life from mm-hmm. and you know you work as much as you can. So that's something. Yeah, sometimes well, it people alters. are listening to it now. They'll know now. <laughs> Hopefully. If you take if Marco takes five hours to reply to a text, it's because he's in the zone. It responds to me eventually. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, yeah. It's not, not only about text is just one thing. It's just also your your interactions with other human beings okay. is affected by that. I think because you put so much energy into mm. making music, then that it alters sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a mm. bad way. You you know your connection with someone and the way you're gonna be responsive or you know it's it's interesting and how do you find the happy medium do you have a specific task that you use to come out of the zone and give you that buffer shall we say yeah exactly yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah exactly there's some meditation is a really good tool for me whether it's to get in the zone or to get out of it out of it yeah. and back into a, I can interact and talk to people normally yeah <laughs> exactly kind of like a cool down mm. I don't really get anxiety when I'm in a session or DJing but I get a little anxiety rush right after as long as I'm into it and I'm striving for it and i'm you know i'm thinking about stuff my brain is going and mm-hmm. my musical sense <laughs> are going i don't know i'm not too anxious but as soon as i get out of it it's like oh it's done i'm really happy because it's done and also it's like a little bit of i don't know it's like anxiety rush mm. so i always need t- five ten minutes just it's like, an endorphin rush isn't it yeah, yeah 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 probably and you just like have to reconnect with grounding, the physical would call it. grounding yeah. yeah that's something i do multiple times a day taking 10 minutes to just ground ground techniques. go back to reality yes. yeah keep you, know? you present exactly yeah. whether it's feeling your body feeling mm-hmm. your feet in the in the ground feeling your your breathing in and out all of that helps with the cool down or the mm-hmm. buffer like you said it's, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting you're a producer and a dj in your own right and, and an artist as well so how did you develop both these skill sets as you entered the music industry which one would you say you're strongest in and how do they help each other as well so i started with drums obviously then I moved on to production, mostly on analog samplers and stuff. And then on moving on to Logic and DRWs and stuff. And DJing came last. But DJing is an extension of my production because as a producer, I started producing dance music and then I became a DJ. I mean, that's what got me into DJing. I don't necessarily only DJ stuff that I produce now, mm-hmm. but it's what got me into it. So I, I think... Production and drums is definitely where I'm strongest at. Mm-hmm. And you plan it for the longest as well. So yeah, exactly. exactly. I think drums is a more of a endless quest for skill than production. Production is a lot about the decisions you make, musical decisions. And drums, it's, it's a big part of drums as well. But there's this quest for, you know, well, getting like as far as you can. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, you will never achieve How that. How can I get to Travis Barker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whoever your influences are, if it's Aaron Spears or if it's Steve Gadd or whatever. Dave it's Roll, like, yeah. Yeah, you, you always have this endless quest. Mm. It's endless. You mentioned two amazing rock drummers. Mm-hmm. That's something you could try to learn and to achieve, but there's jazz drumming, there's gospel, yes, yeah, there's, yeah. there's so many Funk different aspects of yeah, it. Yeah. Production, there's a lot of technicality to it as well, but it's less of an endless... You know, pursuit right. for mastery. Yeah. Yes. Uh, of course, there's a lot of skill involved. There's a lot of understanding involved in how sound works and how music works, instruments, interacts, arrangements, emotions that arrangements or the decisions you can make, the emotions that they provide or they mm-hmm. you convey. Know, yeah, convey. Sure. Exactly. So I guess production is the one I feel most confident about it because I feel like I've I've got a good grasp yes. of what it is. And drums, yeah. no matter how, how, how many years I've been playing it, there's always the next a step. New there's always to learn. Yeah, yeah, so I, I know I can play drums. <laughs> I'm confident <laughs> with my drumming, but yeah, it's harder to, to, to feel like, oh, I've got a good grasp of drums yeah. now. <laughs> and DJing is less technicality. And I guess it's, I mean, I think that the value of a DJ is in the decision he makes, even more than production, because it's mm-hmm. using DJ desks it's not that complicated. I see it kind of as driving. Okay. So if you're driving a car, it takes a while to learn. Mm-hmm. But then if you know how to do it, then it's where you go with the car. And I think DJing, I see it in a similar way. Um, you learn how to DJ. Of course, you can always add stuff and effects and crazy stuff, crazy transitions. Mm-hmm. There, there's always skills that, that you can learn. But once you learn how to fundamentally go from track A to track B, then it's what More path selection really at the yeah, end of the what day. path are you taking How, what songs are you playing yeah so it's it's about the decisions and in that sense i think production and drums feed my musical itch yeah yeah but yeah. it's 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 helping my instinct got you so when i dj i think having this background of a musician and a producer helps with my djing because i make i mean i hope <laughs> i make better decisions or it helps with me choosing a path a musical path between all these tracks that i have that i have all these different types of music genres of music that i can play when i dj and have something that makes sense and that's cohesive whether i'm playing at a house night or a you know more underground night or a more commercial or mm-hmm. mainstream event what songs you play you know and mm-hmm. so in that sense i think just having a background in music as a musician helps with mm. being a good DJ because it's going to help you know what decisions to make and, and do something that makes sense. And which outlet would you say out of producing, songwriting, DJing or playing instruments has the biggest impact on your mental health? I think the m- most positive impact is drums. Okay. Easily. Easily. Drums is, is like a theory. Is that escapism for you, I guess? Not necessarily escapism because it can be very grounding technique as well okay. because when you're practicing drums you can be practicing the same rudiment or taps as pattern well, think about it yeah. <laughs> no but you have to breathe and you have to have awareness of your body and you can do something for half an hour and it's going to be the same sticking or the same pattern and you just play that and that's it and you're here it's kind of like meditation to me mm. and then you can also like just smash some like play a track that you love and it's fun and you kind of it's kind of sports, kind of like sports, kind of like a workout. You can also release a lot of tension, release a lot of energy. So that helps so much. And it also helps me reconnect with why I started music. Every time I play drums, I feel like I'm three-year-old. Mm. Every time I sit behind a drum kit, You're in a I child feel like comes a kid. Out. Yeah. Every time. It's yeah. amazing. It's an amazing sensation. Every time I sit down, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it helps. So that's the most positive and the most 
negative impact. I don't know. Sometimes the DJing seems oh, okay. like I was going to say you can. I thought you were going to say producing, like hearing the same loop over and over. No, again. that's amazing. Like, that's I love that. Do you love that? I've had yeah. so many producers who are like you listen to the same loop, man, and you start off loving it, and then by the end you spent five days on it, and you hate it. Okay, but if you five if you spend five days on the four bar loop, you know it's time to turn it into a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. No, but no production. I love it because it's like crafting something. I used to draw a lot when I was a kid, mm-hmm. or make you know build stuff. I love that. You're not getting tired of your drawing because you're drawing it for three days. So you keep looking at it, but it's, it's this process that takes time. You craft something and you so you're make looking something. at it more from like an artistic point of view. Yeah, I yeah, love that. Yeah. And at the end of it, you have this thing you crafted. It's an achievement. It's an achievement. Yeah. It's like this object that you made. Kind of like if you drew something or if you built something in, with wood or whatever. Mm-hmm. DJing seems very glamorous, but it's a Is lot Is that of- more because it's an intangible for you? Because at the end of the day, you can please a crowd, you can wow a crowd, but it's still, it's an uncontrollable almost. Whereas with producing... Or mm. like you said, with with art, you build something and it's there and it's finished and it's and it's an achievement. Oh, Whereas sure. with DJing, it's like yes, you can get a wow moment, but it's more about crafting a mood mm-hmm. and, and managing people and stuff. So yeah. it's lesser. I can look at it something at the end of this and go wow. Definitely, but th- in that aspect, it's similar to drums. Okay, drums as well. There's there's the same. It doesn't last. It's, sure, it's, it's sure. just it's a moment for, rather it's a than moment. yes, exactly. yeah. But DJing, what I love, what I truly love in DJing. And what makes me passionate about it is the connection with the people. Yes. When you when you play a Making song, people feel good. That's what a DJ when does. You, yeah. When you play a song and you see a reaction from the crowd, even if it's one person, but if it's a whole crowd that just goes lit because you play the right song at the right in time. that moment, yeah, that's one of the the most pure expression of. That's why it's a drug, isn't it? Energy. That's why it's an addiction for loads of. It DJs. is, but yeah. just to see them have a good time, that's just crazy. That's just inimaginable but it's a very sh- it's a very small amount of what you do as a dj i think mm. or drums as a drummer you play drums as a producer you produce as a dj you dj a little bit but the preparation and obviously the you know curation of music and the preparation go through your sets make sure you know your music make sure you're not just playing random tracks because mm-hmm. they're hyped or whatever but making sure that it makes sense and it's true to and you your musical through. identity yeah. and then when you actually dj it's about reading the room and the crowd and everything, but it's a small part of DJing. Inter- mm. Interestingly, it's a small amount of the work. Yes. A two-hour set really isn't that yeah. long when you think about all the work beforehand, don't you? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So sometimes it can get a little bit... I mean, when I get sets ready or I go through my sets and stuff like that, through my songs, through my playlists, it's kind of like this constant anxiety because mm-hmm. you, you know you're going to play, but mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I have to go through all these sets. And it's like... 80 songs of disco, 80 songs of disco house, and then you have all mm-hmm. your playlists and stuff. And you've got your backups, you've got your dance floor savers, yeah. you've got your toppers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not complaining. Of course, it's an amazing, it's amazing to be able to. You make guess music. it's more pressure, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's more pressure and less time spent directly with your craft. You know what I mean? Drums mm-hmm. is you spend so much time playing drums and production you produce. DJing, you spend so much time with everything around it. You know, and the DJing part is just the tip of the iceberg. Yes, I got you. Let's talk about industry issues because the first one you wanted to talk about is isolation and how that impacts you specifically with your producer hat on. So tell me how that impacts your mental health, mate. So yeah, isolation is something I feel sometimes. It's not really loneliness because <laughs> I'm so lucky. Explain the difference then because that can be very interlinked, those yeah. two terms. I feel like you can be very well surrounded and have close friends meaningful relationships, close relationships to your family or whatever, and still feel isolated. 
I think it's a very different concept than loneliness. And isolation, it can come from a lot of different things in your relationships to others. But I was just reading something. I think it was Marcus Aurelius. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, in his yeah, yeah. meditations, he said that isolation can come from understanding human nature and struggling <laughs> or, you know, working towards something and, mm -hmm. and facing uh, complicated situations and having to, to work a lot through something. And I think in, in, in music, that's a lot of what you do. You un understand human nature because you're trying to convey emotions and mm. make people feel something. And so you start to maybe read a lot about psychology or have conversations with people about how they feel, how they work, how they think, how they function. And you spend a lot of time struggling, working, and it's crazy amounts of work. And, it's, and it can be very intimidating. So these two parts of what could make you feel isolated, I think are very present in the music industry. Mm. You spoke about your uncle having this really strong work ethic, right? And working all hours of the day. And there's a lot yeah. of positives to that, but there's also a lot of negatives. Yeah, definitely. But how do you find the solution to this problem of isolation when a strong work ethic in this job means you might have to work longer hours in the studio and possibly make the situation worse? And when you're self-aware of it, it probably doesn't help either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to... Find a balance. You mentioned it earlier. That's key. The balance. Sometimes it's just having one day in the week where you don't make music. I'm being okay with that. Yeah, but that's so hard. I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it's really hard. Done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really hard. But it, it it's actually a good thing. Or maybe it's better organization, better mm -hmm. planning. Because sometimes music is very it's spontaneous. Just this yeah. Spontaneous, <laughs> yeah. and there's this artist. You know, oh, the, the and, and music industry people, mate, I know that. Yeah, sometimes they're not, they don't have this ethic or this organizational skills. Yes. That can really, really, really help with that. It's a bane that. of my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when I'm organized. Yeah, exactly. If you get organized, maybe find, also find the moments in the day where you feel most comfortable with doing certain stuff. If it's about working out or if it's about practicing your instrument or if it's about producing, mixing, If you have a, a lot of different skills, you have to understand which part of the day suits is a, a better match with these skills. In the morning, I like to produce. Mm -hmm. So with nothing in my head. Because when I'm creating music, I want to have nothing in my head. No worries. Just wake up, be here, present in the real life and make something that you feel inspired to make. I cannot do that at night. I've had my whole day and I've, mm -hmm. I've thought about so many things. And then obviously when you're going to create music, you're going to think... Oh, I'm making this song because of all these issues I'm trying to solve, all mm -hmm. these problems in your career. It's not really <laughs> problems, but it's goals or, you know, boxes to take or whatever. So that's, I think that's the worst place to make music. Well, that's interesting <laughs> because a lot of producers are night owls, aren't they? They're the ones who work yeah. until God knows yeah. hours in the morning, but you prefer the morning. Yeah, yeah. I think I understand that because I feel closer to my emotions at night. Everything just seems, it just seems bigger. Amped like, up. Yes. Amped up yeah. at night. All the emotions. But in the morning, you can protect the realness. You can protect the authenticity and the spontaneousness of making music, of creating something. Whereas at night, it's, it's just finding what works for you, you know? You said to me that this work ethic you have can make you expect a lot of yourself, but also expect a lot of the people around you. So tell me about the pros of it. And also, can it ever become a problem <laughs> or change you? Yeah, definitely. It's a good thing for me because I expect a lot. I, I can set high expectations for myself that pushes me to, you know, whatever value I choose to 
make important in my life. I don't have too much of a problem to make it mm-hmm. what I want it to be or a skill that I want to learn or just tasks that I have to do. I'm okay with that. That That's all right. Deadlines. I'm fine with deadlines. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And I see how the positive impact of that could be that in my close friends or people that I surround myself with, I think it has a positive influence. I think they told me sometimes, oh, when, when we work together, I feel like, you know, a bit, more, a bit more motivated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit more motivated. That's amazing. That's amazing feedback from your friends and stuff. So that's great. I think that's a positive thing that I, I expect a lot of myself and I also have high expectations for the others. Mm-hmm. But the negative of that is that not everyone... Can be that level. <laughs> can, can be that level, but also it's just fundamentally people don't operate in the same way. People's mm-hmm. brains are not wired in the same way. So sometimes it, it can be a problem because you're... Exp- I'm, I'm like, why... <laughs> why, why is this is, not done <laughs> why is this not done why are you not doing this I don't understand <laughs> you say you want to do this but you're not doing it why <laughs> and this is just stupid oh, I feel you bro <laughs> you know it's just stupid because because people don't work in the same way so you have to truly try to understand people and have empathy and compassion and really put yourself in their in their shoes and understand how they work and how they function and what's best for them you know so um, yeah you, you have to kind of balance that as well the other industry issue that we wanted to talk about is multitasking. And you have obviously spoken about you do drums, you produce, you songwrite, you play instruments. So you have to fill a lot of different roles. And then you add into the fact you've got to be a marketing manager, hmm. you've got to be a social media manager, photographer, all these other hats you've got to put on as part of being hmm. an independent artist. So how tiring is it and how does it impact your mental health? It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's cool in a way because... You get to do different things, so it's never boring. Each day of my week is, you know, one day I'm going to be playing drums and rehearsals, and one day I'm going to be getting some sets ready and going there for a set. One day I'm going to be in this studio recording an artist, mixing a song, going to a mastering session, having a label meeting, marketing, like mm-hmm. all this stuff. So that's really interesting because it's, it's fascinating. And the more you understand, the more 360 of a view you have, the also the better it is. And so that's great, but... It can be very tiring, super tiring, more than just practicing one thing for for a long time. This summer, I had nothing else to do than production. I didn't have access to drums. No one was in town. <laughs> so every day for a month and a half, I was just making music production. And I could work for 10, 12 hours a day. And I didn't feel tired because wow. it's like one thing. you know. Mm. So that was great. But now the life is back to its normal <laughs> rhythm. So it's a very time you have to organize yourself and all of that. And... Um, Sometimes it can be bad because obviously you have your your attention is being split split yeah, in yeah. so many different fragments that it's hard to do everything in a good way and and hundred mm. percent. Well, that's the downside well. of being a jack of all trades. The downside is master <laughs> <Yeah>. of none. <laughs> yeah. So the answer to that or the solution to that, in my opinion, is prioritizing. So you have to be crystal clear on what your priorities are. If you have multiple skills, which is a which is a requirement, I think in the industry now you have to at least have a couple of hats. And what other know? people expect of you as well? Because people, someone might say to you, "Can you do this for me on this day?" And you're like, "No, that day's yeah. for X. Yeah. This day's for Y." Yeah. yeah, you have to. You know, if you're able to do multiple jobs, multiple instruments, or multiple I don't know, fill multiple yeah, yeah. roles for the people around you or in your career, that's great. But it's hard to prioritize if you're just open to anything and you don't think about it so you have to have a a vision about what you're prioritizing and what you want to learn in yeah definitely out of all the skills you have all all the things you love to do and you're 
hopefully you're great at, which one is the one that, you, that has priority on everything else? And then how much time do you spend on that? How much energy do you spend on that? And then the other skills, how much time and energy do you spend on each of these, you know? And there's work in organizing itself. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, how much time am I putting into organizing the organizing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. But yeah. it's it's prioritizing, prioritizing and, and literally taking the time to, to write them down, solidify. Mm. Because you can think about it, but if you just think about it, it might move, it might morph, it might change. Uh, because we're irrational creatures, you know, we don't mm. think correctly all the time we were emotional <laughs> and stuff sure. you get carried away mm. someone was good oh, hey come help me with this or could you help me with this session can you record my song could you do this you need to have strong boundaries as well you have to have mm. strong boundaries and that comes from making them solid writing them down or uh, whatever it is making sure that you spend x amount of hours on this x amount of hours on, on that it's not because you have a skill that you have to do it so it's not because you're a mixing engineer as well as a producer that you have to mix all of your stuff Sometimes you can just work with, other, I mean, you have to work with yeah. other people. It's not because you can do a lot of things and learn all these skills that you have to do everything. That's not a good idea. Yeah. All the young artists listen to this. Listen to Marco. Because this is, <laughs> this is some gold he's, uh, he's spitting here. Let's reflect on your music journey so far, mate. So what has it taught you about yourself? I think it taught me that I'm more emotional than I thought I was. In a good way? In a good way. Yeah, yeah great way. Growing up, I didn't think I was emotional. Is that, is that a Swiss thing? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Neutrality is what Neutrality. Known for. Yeah. Socially in Switzerland, it's sometimes it's a little cold as well. So yes. your friends are your friends. That's amazing. But if if you're not really friends with someone, it's going to be a little cold, is it? Acquaintances, of, maybe. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot those. of distance. Yes. So maybe it comes from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not the most emotional background, but my, my family's Italian, so my mom's Italian. And stuff, oh, they're, so they're, they're emotional. <laughs> they're emotional, very emotional. So Gesticulating, yeah. emotional. Yeah. But as, as a kid, and before I was maybe even, even late, like until I was 17 or 18 or even 20, I didn't think of me as an emotional being. I think I was very, you know, all mental health and stuff. <laughs> I was not aware of, my, of myself, right. of my emotions, of maybe things in the past that were maybe negative or the way the impact that these emotions had on my life, on my everyday life. And I think m through music, I learned a lot about that. We've talked all about Balthazar. Let's go behind the decks and talk about your own mental health journey, Marco. So I ask all my special guests on this topic, this question first too. Take you back to early life in Switzerland, childhood, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences? Who's the Marco we meet here? Hmm. I spend a lot of time thinking about my childhood these days, trying to write down some memories, stuff like that. It's kind of blurry. It's always interesting. It's kind of blurry and there's super strong emotions when even just I look at a picture or my mom tells me about something, an anecdote or something. It's always very, very, very emotional and feels very deep. And I'm grateful for that childhood because it was great. Then the major events, probably the separation of my parents. Okay. When I was about two. Oh, so very, very young. Yeah, very early. And then divorce and stuff like that. So that probably had, had an impact even at a subconscious level. And how was your time split? Did you live with your mom predominantly and then... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I lived with my mom and visited my dad. I'm grateful for him because mm. he's, he's been... He's been a present. He's been present. He's been present. Yeah. But it's, he was not the 
you know, I didn't see him as that father figure that you have there and it's right. inspiring you and pushing you and stuff. That was my mom. <laughs> right. Because okay. I was living with her on a day to day. Yeah, sure. No, it was I have, natural, I have right? a good relationship with my dad and mm. he taught me, like I said earlier, a lot about music and we share a, a strong bond as well. But it's, it's, it's always interesting. When I met my uncle and I saw this, he was... Whirlwind. <laughs> yeah, he, that was kind of like a, a very influential father figure, mm-hmm. even if I was just with him for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. And he was he your uncle on your mum's side or your dad's side? That side. That side, okay. But he's much younger. He's much right, younger. He's okay. like, we spoke off air about the importance you put on self-development in your life, mate, and growth from a really early age. And like you said, your mum was a, a really big influence on this. Yes. So let's go a bit deeper. How did she specifically give you this drive and in your words become your spiritual guide <laughs> as well as your mum? Yes, it's funny because my mum always told me to have strong routines not in the military sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Habits. Habits and routines are really important. Yeah. Habits. Things you do every night. I have memories of maybe four or five-year-old me trying to breathe in the evening because my mom was like, okay, now you're breathing, you breathe out. You take a moment to express gratefulness and feel the ground. It's meditation. It's, mm-hmm. it's tools that now I can use. And the value of this is crazy. Especially as a kid going through... A lot of movement, you know, with my mom, it was kind of complicated sometimes. The situation was obviously kind of... Fluid, shall we say. Yeah, fluid. And my mom always made sure that I was grateful and expressing that gratefulness. That's just grateful, you know, mental Mm. health in general. And then also taking the time to breathe, taking some time to making sure that I was doing sports, that I was stretching, just getting a strong base like a strong a foundation foundation yeah. that's the word foundation so that no matter what happens in your life you know during the day you have this foundation and it's yes. solid and you know you can rely on these habits i mean my mom is yeah my, it's like really said, it's really, really important that we have those foundations man i have habits that i do every single day mm-hmm. and and you know even if i have a bad day i know i've got those habits that i can fall back on i yeah. know i've completed them and i can say well i might have had a bad day but at least i've done xyz yeah. and whatever yeah i want to move on to your move to london because you did it two years ago and you did it with your best friend jonathan mm-hmm. so it's brought a lot of pros Maybe a few cons. I can definitely <laughs> understand that, especially as living in London for so long and being born here. Mm. Tell me about the pros first. How has the move helped your career and benefited you as a person making the change? Well, the move is, is obviously a, a very good strategic move <laughs> from Switzerland. <laughs> I used to think I was going to go to Berkeley in Boston because I, I got a scholarship to go there. Oh, wow. But didn't happen because of COVID, because of financial reasons. Oh, that's unfortunate. Reasons. Yeah, but also financial reasons. Okay. Just, and... Now I think, thank God I didn't go. And oh, I, really? And I'm okay. here in London. Everything really. happens for a reason, bro. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I tr- truly believe that. It has been amazing. Moving here, just the openness of people here, the way... I'm surprised by that. Yeah. <laughs> Londoners aren't normally that open. <laughs> I don't know. The people we work with, you know, we're, we're two guys from Switzerland getting involved in the hip-hop communities here, the house communities here. So many different groups of people and, and people of all backgrounds. And the way that if someone fucks with you and likes your music or just appreciates... Oh, yeah, that's the good thing about London. They're yeah. gonna, it's a unifying force, isn't it? They're yeah. going to take you in. They're going to talk to you. They're going to bring you to some other people. They're going to push you, help you, because they know that, you know, some years later that you might give it back or mm-hmm. how easy it is to create relationships with people. But that's how difficult thing. is it to create meaningful relationships? Oh, definitely. That's the thing. Definitely. Yeah. I'm, what I'm saying now is more about professional life. Cool. So sure. about music, you know. 
you know, sometimes people are gonna gonna find you on Instagram or or see you play at a gig or whatever, and they're gonna talk to you or introduce you to someone else. That doesn't happen in Switzerland. No, you know? no, no. It's very it's more of a closed circles. Yes. So that was amazing moving here and also the connection to the industry and also you know we have so John and me we have really high ambitions maybe stupidly high That's but we good have though. always really high. high ambitions and we we're aiming for you know the top of what we want to do we want to be top actors of the different fields that we love so moving to London was a was a move because the ceiling here is mm. you know is <laughs> very high mm. much higher than Switzerland and do you think you'd have made the move without him did he push you to do it? Like, mm-hmm. would you have gone on your own? Because that's obviously a very big step, but you obviously came together and I imagine you mm-hmm. lived together, so that must yeah. be really nice. I mean, I, w- I would not be here without him because we started making music at 13 year old. Wow. So, so he was in your school band? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And now we have founded our label together. We produce a lot together. We do all these trips together. We we also have our separate, oh, I have Balthazar here. He has John LeCole. He is also a separate entity, producer, artist, songwriter, and musician. But we started together, so I would not be the same person mm. without him. We have very different characters and very different vibes. So, so it's it's part of me. So I don't think I would be here. I would have made the move the move without him. But then at some point, I thought I was going to go to Boston by myself. But it, it would not have been the same, man. Obviously, and the pros of that is to have that someone that we went to China together. We oh, went to bro. all these shows together. We went to Dubai together. We went to the States together. Someone that truly understands you. And it's like, you know, you can trust them. Mm. You know, their feedback is going to be real. You know, a friend is a accurate mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, it's hard to find meaningful relationships like that in London. Who give you genuine good feedback. Exactly. Instead of, that sounds sick, bro. Exactly. Because yeah. everyone's saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, past a certain, okay, you're capable of making some track or yeah. making a transition or playing a groove. Everyone's going to be like, that's so sick. <laughs> Which is amazing, you know? The support is great. It needs to be deeper than that, though. You need to have someone yeah. that says, that's trash. This needs to be better. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're capable. I know who you are. Mm-hmm. I know your skills. And you're capable of doing something that's better. Mm. I'm very reflective of that as a person because I, I've obviously interviewed quite a lot of artists and some of them send me their tracks and they're unreleased mm-hmm. demos. And I try and be as detailed as possible with the mm-hmm. feedback because I know that every other piece of feedback they're getting is just, yeah, that sounds good, bro. Yeah. Well, that sounds good, mate. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear, right, this transition could be better. This drums could be la- mm-hmm. la- drums could be louder here. This could yeah. be quieter here. Like, that's what they want to hear because they want to make the song better. They don't want to just get you to say, this is rubbish or this is good. Like, mm-hmm. tell me why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about also about the conversations we have. Obviously, we, li- we live together, so we have these late-night conversations about plans and strategies and ideas and bounce off each other. And I might have an idea and I think that's not possible. And I talk to him and it's like, well, let's do it. <laughs> you know, record label. Yeah, why not? Like, we, we wow, imagine if we had that. We know some people in New York. Oh, imagine if we went to New York. Let's do, do it. it. Yeah. February, we went to New York, worked with all these artists, put Amazing. some money aside, managed to do it. And it was obviously a great strategic mm. move. But when you just think about it, it's impossible. The self-doubt is, comes in, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, and, and same for him, you know. And, and sometimes he's, he's going to, think about an idea or a project or an ambition and he thinks it's not possible and then we have a talk and we just start writing stuff down and and it's like yeah man like let's do it let's do this that oh we we, we want to stay in london now mm-hmm. that's the challenge seems impossible mm-hmm. you know again but together we figure things out and we push each other and we support each other and we acknowledge you know ups and downs and it's just man so grateful for that mm-hmm. relationship obviously and what opportunities has it presented to you outside of music 
be a part of the main thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As a kid, I always wanted to live in New York or live mm-hmm. in London because you want to be in the main thing yeah. where it's happening. Maybe it's because Switzerland is such an outsider mm-hmm. for a lot of things. Not business things, but, <laughs> you know, you're especially as a French-speaking Swiss person, you have this weird relationship to France. Okay. You feel like kind of the outsider because you speak French. So you, you listen to French artists, but you're not French. You know, and, and so you listen to a lot of... It's like you're on the outside of a circle and everyone's talking. Exactly. Bit, yeah. exactly. So I, I grew up listening to a lot of hip-hop and stuff, but you're from Switzerland. Like, mm. you know, it doesn't mean that you cannot appreciate the music. It's just... It's amazing to be able to be in a city where it's the main thing, this culture, the history, like London. So even if you take music out, sports, people, neighborhoods, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just amazing to live here. And also, like, I was idolizing English-speaking countries so much. Okay. From, I don't know why. Just We have that know. effect on people for some reason. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, from, from Susan, I was learning English, trying to... How are you learning English? English artists or American? Mostly American. I was gonna say American that's how artists, do it. and that annoys me as well. Yeah. They start they, like people from Quebec or whoever <laughs> it is start speaking like an American. It's like yeah. God's sake, man. Yeah, exactly. But so so to finally to move to a English speaking. Have you picked country, up a lot of the London see, slang yet? A little Apart bit. Apart from sick, but yeah. no, a little bit because we hang out with a lot of rappers. A lot of oh rappers. yeah, South yeah, London, yeah. you know. South. Oh, <laughs> okay, yeah, you're definitely gonna get some slang yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think, well, there's some, there's definitely some East London slang I can teach you at some point, yeah, <laughs> probably off the podcast. How about the challenges then? Because I know London is a pretty scary place to move to. It can feel very lonely place to move to, to live in mm. at times because it's so all-encompassing. It can swallow you up. You can feel very <laughs> insignificant. So what challenges has it brought your mental health to and how do you navigate them? Well, that's, that's interesting because what you just said actually brings me a lot of energy. Okay. <laughs> to feel that you're just one person in this big mass of people, especially in London, everyone is here to kind of achieve something. Yes. Or, I mean, some people are, were born here, <laughs> like you, but. We're still here to crack yeah. on as well, mate. <laughs> but I feel like nine out of ten person that I met moved to here, London. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Because everyone came here with that energy. Mm. I'm trying to achieve something. That's such a great energy. And whenever you feel kind of like down or blue or, you know, <clears throat> out of motivation. You take a walk in central London and it's maybe it's because I'm a tourist, <laughs> but it just gives me so much energy because you see all these people, all this life happening. Yeah. Everyone's living the life, man. Everyone's having a hard time, but mm. at the same time, everyone's kind of striving for something. Mm. So that that's just providing me. And I know some of my friends feel the same way, but it's providing with a lot of energy mm. and yeah, but I see the, the you can, I can see both sides as well. Yeah. yeah, for sure. When you moved here from Switzerland, you obviously left your family behind temporarily. Your relationship at the time ended because mm-hmm. of the move. These are obviously big sacrifices that, you know, some of your friends might not have realized or, or people who just listen to your music. Mm-hmm. How difficult was that for you at the time? At the start, it was fairly easy. Okay. Because you still feel so close to everyone at home. Mm-hmm. So maybe after one year, it was all fine. Obviously, relationship long distance relationship is complicated mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it ended because of that but it was Probably definitely a factor, a factor. Sure, yeah definitely and also some people don't realize or i don't know maybe it's because it's london and <laughs> you get so caught up in the life mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. that you feel very isolated from family and people yeah. at home. so again i had to set strong habits to make sure that i was doing my best to maintain these relationships with a handful of people <laughs> it's, it's amazing how it shrunk of course the yeah, amount yeah. of people i had relationships 
acquaintances. Acquaintances. They, they with... drop, after university, they drop off very quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, we had big groups of friends and everyone's going to, to vacation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Big parties, big house parties in Switzerland. That was great. And it was great. But it's, it's interesting to see now who's still there mm. and who's taking the time to just sometime, you know, on a, hop on a phone call. And the meaning of these relationships grew so much because they were maintained that's amazing and a lot of them just died of course which yeah, is yeah, fine yeah, which is yeah, fine yeah, yeah. you said earlier in the podcast you got your mum who's Italian your dad's Italian you're obviously Swiss by birth right how did the move impact your connection with your Italian roots and as we chatted off air how are you going about re-establishing that connection yeah that's that's interesting too moving here I felt every time I read a book in French I feel kind of like closer to Switzerland mm-hmm. or it feels like home <laughs> And it also pushed me to get a lot closer of like to my Italian roots. Well, there's de- you could definitely do that in London. There's a, a million Italian restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> there are. Not all, not, not all are good, though. Good, yeah, though. yeah, yeah. A lot of bad ones. Yeah, yeah. There's but, a lot of good, though. good ones, yeah. though. I'll give you a couple of recommendations. Please, after. please do. Yeah. No, it was Bordello's in Wapping. That's a very good yeah, one. Okay. Yeah, okay. Give me a full list. I'll give you a full list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I saw that effect that reading in French had on me, I was like, oh, might, might as well start reading in Italian. And I never read in Italian. And I was like, wow, my Italian is actually not that good, you know? Every time I go back to Italy, after a couple of days, it comes back Get naturally. Get traumatized, yeah. Sure. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's fine, I can speak it. But it's definitely something that I want to keep. And now I'm in London, I don't know where the rest of my life is going to be. So am I just going to lose this? Mm. You know, I, you don't I'm, want to. I don't want to. I feel really close to that. It's a very big part of me, even if it's just like emotionally or mm-hmm. how, how I act or how I, I don't know. I feel closer to my Italian roots now than I used to in Switzerland. Okay. Which is really interesting. Do you listen to Italian music? Not really. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes. I grew up listening to Eros Ramazzotti, people like that. But no, I don't mean like mom. the classics. I mean like modern <laughs> Italian music. A little bit of Mahmoud. Okay. A little bit of uh, Capo Plaza, Sfera e Basta. Some people. The only Italian music I know is when that viral drill video of that Italian drill music went. Basically, like, when drill was really big, loads of countries were trying yeah, it. Yeah, of course. And there was an Italian drill artists yeah and they were singing in italian it went viral in the uk yeah. so that's drill, the only italian drill, drill, music yeah. i know drill is massive in italy i think i think there's been this central sea this yeah Euro central sea is a global superstar now of course man, man. And, and also gazo a french massive drill artist in france had a featuring with an italian artist and capo Platz has been doing a lot mm. of drill but it's mostly about the books and right. the language right and the food of course <laughs> that's a big thing we had a really interesting conversation off air about Switzerland, mate, because it, it shares a lot of similarities with countries like the UK, Germany and the USA in, in that it has a strong immigrant population, but in a much smaller landmass. Mm-hmm. So just give the listeners a bit of an insight into Swiss culture and how these melting pot of different nationalities form part of a wider collective Swiss identity. It's a big question, obviously, but yeah. Yes, it's a big question. Interest, very interesting question. It's very hard to answer the question. Mm. <laughs> like it would be for English people to answer that question about <clears throat> England. Yeah. What I love about London is how each culture brings their food, their even accent or vibe mm-hmm. or culture. So you feel like you're in this big... Like you said, melting, melting pot, pot, yeah. In London. You don't feel like that in Switzerland. Oh, okay. No, there's some. There's also some, some people are going to be very proud of their cultural heritage but it's not as part of the the identity of the people city people more you know? separate yeah. yeah like when i think about london what makes london london now mm. 
a lot of it is non-English stuff. <laughs> Most of it, I think. <laughs> Whereas from an outside perspective, you think maybe my parents, you know, they think about the Queen and and Piccadilly Circus. R.I.P. the Queen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, but King the, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. But in Switzerland, it's not really like that. Yeah, it's it's becoming the the mentality. I think of this of Swiss people and of the countries slowly changing mm. and evolving to be more ex, to show more ex- acceptance and, mm. and I think that's a good thing. Well, the the things that kind of Switzerland is known for is cheese, chocolate, mm-hmm. neutrality, yep. and Roger Federer, which is <laughs> which, which is not a bad list to be known is, for, but which is fairly accurate. To, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it's not that far of what you know, but uh, there's more to it. Obviously, it's just mm. not as colorful and mm. diverse. And established. Mm. And when we were speaking off air about your accent, and I was talking about Roger Federer mm. because his accent is like really smooth, and it's it's French, but it's a smoother kind of French. Like it's a little bit Americanized, mm. but and it's a little bit English. It's got like a regal quality almost. Well, maybe that's just because it's Roger. But like, <laughs> do you get that when you interact with people? How do they interact with you? Like when you tell them that you're Swiss, or mm. do they guess it, or what's been your reaction from people? The reactions are very different. Sometimes people are going to think I'm French. Mm-hmm. People might think you're Italian because you're quite, <laughs> no, you look quite Italian, though. Oh, until they, until they hear you physically, speak. Yeah, yes, yeah, physically, yeah, yeah. yeah, physically. You got maybe. good hair. That, that, <laughs> Thank you. Like all Italians have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely, definitely. But um, yeah, people think I'm French. Sometimes Italian, actually. But sometimes they're also just confused. Okay. Because no one's going to be like, oh, you're Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> No it's one, not like a go-to, is it? No, yeah, no, no one's like, oh, he's Swiss. That's No, nah, that doesn't happen. So it's always interesting. Mm. And you always have to kind of explain. And some people get it right away. Oh, yeah, Switzerland. And then some people are like, what? Switzerland? So what language do you speak? Oh, but isn't that Swedish? And like, <laughs> Oh, God, that's a bad answer. <laughs> well, it happens a lot in London, you know? Really? Yeah. People think you speak Swedish because you're from Switzerland? That but is because bad, Because they, they have it all mixed up in their head, you know? <laughs> that's some bad geography going on there. Yeah. That's some bad geography. Yes. Okay, well, that's interesting. And I guess as well, because Switzerland is a multilingual country, you speak so many different languages, but you're all Swiss. That probably doesn't help either when it comes to interacting with people. Yes, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Even, you know... <laughs> In Switzerland, mm. it's it's kind of if it's very split because the French Swiss people don't really speak German that well. Mm-hmm. Swiss German people speak French much better than we do. You know, they're just better at French than we are in, at German. And then the Italian part of Switzerland also they're they're kind of like their own thing. There's not a lot of mix up. And mm. let's reflect on your mental health journey, mate. So first of all, similar question as the the first topic: What has this mental health journey taught you about yourself? how important you know my childhood was and defining it is whether it be events that happened like my parents or stuff like that moving stuff like Mm -hmm. that interactions with friends at an early age it was kind of kind of difficult sometimes socially and also people in my life so i didn't realize until recently i underestimated the importance of the relationship with my sister for instance because i have a big sister I underestimated the impact of my mom and what she taught me and that I just took for granted. Mm-hmm. The relationship with my dad, my, I mean, all of these. Uh, so taking some time to maybe read and reflect about mental health, just journal much, much more. That definitely taught me a lot about my own history and why I react the way I react sometimes because, you know, I can lash out. I can be <laughs> very emotional and I think it's linked to to some things in the past. So trying to make peace with all of that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, and get further understanding of 
of myself mm-hmm. and how I can implement things in my life that help maintaining this ground and this foundation. Mm. I love that. And as a final question before we move on, if you could go back and talk to the Marco who was playing in those school bands or the Marco whose parents had separated and he was trying to navigate between the two or the Marco who was wondering, "Mm, should I make that decision to move to London with my mate Jonathan Mm -hmm. or go to Berkeley or whatever, Mm -hmm. what would you say to him knowing what you do now? That... It's going to sound corny. Go on. There's a lot of cliches on this podcast. Okay. (laughs) No, but that he doesn't have to become someone else. Because I think growing up, I was always trying to change the way I was. You know, I I had a lot of icons and stuff, people I I really admired and stuff. I was trying to get like them or be other people, but not me. (laughs) So when I had friends, I, I wanted to make friends with them. I stopped doing some things that I loved in order to maybe appear no- more normal or cooler. People. Yeah, sure. You know, I was drawing comics mm-hmm. growing up all the time, like Joker and Batman and Spider-Man and stuff. I loved that. And I just stopped doing that because it was not cool. You know? I, oh, I think look it's, how things have changed now. Marvel, think, everything. That's yeah, cool now. I think, it, I think it is cool. It's just at the time, it was not cool. I was seen as weird because I was always building things or drawing things, Jokers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I was not very social uh, as a kid. Do you draw comics now i don't really i drew on some jackets right to kind of like you know wear it <laughs> and i need to to draw more because it's definitely a process you say it on the podcast now mate you're gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> i will yes yeah, so, so all of these things are i i remember i had some rings when i was a kid to wear rings bring your my, my name yeah. back baltazar to be a creative to be emotional i think it's cool because i feel much 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 closer to that kid than a couple of years ago or, or than when i was like 19. Our final topic of conversation, Marco, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests, if we have time. It is a general natter and quick fire chat about our mental health. So firstly, how is your mental health, mate? Right now? Right now, over the last few days, it's really good. Excellent. On a scale of 1 to 10, 7.5, 8? Eight. Eight. Lovely. What age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health and you realized that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? Probably 21, 22. Okay. Very late. Okay. <laughs> Very late. No, it's no right or wrong age, mate. It's no right or wrong age. And was it a gradual process or was it a singular eureka moment? It was gradual. Okay. But interestingly enough, is it was a very physical process. I realized how deeply linked some of my physical... Reactions, yes, were linked to my to my, you know, mental. Mm. And if our poor, if state. our mental health is poor, sometimes that can produce it and manifest exactly. in our physical exactly. health. For sure. And and some sensations that I've been feeling my whole life, I never associated them with feelings, ah. and now I do. So it's really excellent. All a learning process, mate. <laughs> yeah. Just tell me as well about the first conversation you ever had with someone about your mental health. So who is it with? What did you say? And how do you look back on it? Did it feel like, on the one hand, a very big moment and a weight have been lifted or on the other something quite easy and normal to do it's really hard to trace back to the first <laughs> okay if you can't think of the first maybe the most important one you can remember i think it should be with my friend teo teo ziga it's hard to trace back to one specific conversation mm-hmm. but we always meet in the morning for cafes and stuff he's always been so strong because he's so openly vulnerable it was never a problem for him like he was always aware of his mental health that's something and mm-hmm. then always oh, fine with it 
So he's he's probably one of the first people I always I started to really open up with because Excellent. he was always so clear about it. Shout out to Teo. What things in life do you find that trigger your mental health? So it could be things people say to you. It could be a sound, a sensation, being in a particular environment. Or have you not figured all of them out yet? I think pressure, definitely. I can handle pressure, but when people are pressuring me, (laughs) I think that triggers me. Uh, So if it's events or deadlines or work, that's fine. I can handle the pressure. But if it's someone actually kind of pressuring me exerting pressure on you. yeah exerting yeah. exactly that's kind of triggering me and uh, also f- as soon as i feel isolated from people that's usually what kind of drives my mm. mental health i think mm. it's it's very important if i feel connected to people i'm fine generally regardless of what's happening the ups and downs that's that's cool conversely then what positive tools do you use to improve your mental health or help you feel better which ones have worked and maybe which ones that you've tried mm. but haven't Music, I have my playlist, you know, we all have this. <laughs> no, some, some songs are, just have a, a magic impact on me. That's what I'm trying to achieve with my music. Um, not necessarily sad songs or happy songs, but songs that take you from a bad place to a good place. I'm obsessed with that. And I think that's really something that I'm trying to achieve. So music and then all of these habits, journaling is amazing. Just putting something on paper, it just helps me acknowledge it and then accept it conversations with people and stuff stuff that i haven't tried oh sport as well Sorry. okay sport working out stretching what kind of sport? Your body gym yeah. and basketball basketball oh yeah, okay basketball. are you nba fan oh, huge man oh huge okay i'm not but i like always have to engage in the conversation <laughs> do you know the only things i do watch i just watch inside the nba clips oh with yeah Shaq, with Shaq and charles Barkley. yeah of course man <laughs> just anytime i feel down i'm like i'm just gonna watch a Shaq and charles yeah, Barkley clip <laughs> it's always right no but if you go who's your sport lakers man lakers okay lebron LeBron, let's see. LeBron James is actually a, a huge um, mentor. I don't know him. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But it's just his work ethic and the, his values and the way he conveys that, mm-hmm. I think is really impressive. Did you watch the basketball film with Adam Sandler? No. Oh, you need to watch it, man. It's one of the best sports films mm-hmm. I've seen. Yeah. I it's about, he's a, he works for an NBA team and he like scouts for them. The player who he scouts, I didn't actually realize this until after I watched it, but he also plays in the NBA. And he's an unbelievable actor in it. And he's Anthony Edwards. Huh? Is it Anthony Edwards? It's a recent. There's loads of NBA stars in okay, it. Okay. But the main guy is a Spanish player. Okay. That he finds on like the streets of right. like New York or somewhere. It's a sick film. I'll, show, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll talk definitely. about it afterwards. What has been the best book, or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it can be self help or mental health related. It doesn't exclusively have to be. It can be fiction. And if you can't think of a book, <laughs> an album, or a TV show, or <laughs> any piece of popular culture. Oh man, these questions, I could take two days to answer them. <laughs> uh, a book, a recent one that has had a huge impact on my mental health is Man's Search for Meaning. Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl. Yeah. Every person should read that book, I feel. That was a slap in, a huge slap in the face for me. And a, huge <laughs> a good slap in the face? Or? Right, good one, but it was, it, it's, I mean, read the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's just amazing and, and huge impact on my life. Like, okay. On why I live my life and what I want to do mm. while alive. And stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's about decisions you make. I mean, it, the freedom you have. Mm. I think the most famous quote in it, he quotes... So it's not his quote, but he quotes Nisha. And it's yeah. like, if a man has As a why, uh, why he can... Bear uh, with... It, yeah, yeah, he can endure anyhow. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. He can bear with almost any, anyhow. Well, speaking no of uh, quotes like that, if there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health, what would it be and why? <laughs> These questions... 
a quote or a phrase or a saying? I have a couple. And, and I was looking back in my journal coming mm-hmm. here because I was like, oh, let's take a look yeah, for yeah. Like preparation. Your quote. Do it. Let's go. But there's, it's not quotes from people. It's more stuff that I keep writing down. I don't even do that on purpose, but I keep writing them like down. Like an affirmation. Yeah, yeah. affirmation. There's what, it's very cliche. And, <laughs> but uh, definitely grateful. I don't know. I keep writing that. Just expressing gratitude. Gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude mm-hmm. is the word. Thank you. And then also strive for greatness. That's very corny, but that's that's like you and that's LeBron James. That's like you and Jonathan's mantra. That's LeBron James. SFG. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. I, I just think it's 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 a good you know encapsulate what I mm. want to do, man. Strive for greatness. Keep, Whatever keep is your needed. Purpose going. Yeah. Exactly. And also, there's one by a great NBA coach, and uh, it's in any given situation, chop wood, carry water. Is that the guy who Phil, coached? Is that the guy who coached the uh, the Chicago Bulls? Yes, that's Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson, yeah, yeah. He I've says that the last dance. That's how I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his book is amazing, and it's okay. about how it's eleven rings, and his book on, on mental health and mm. his journey as a coach and as a human being, and how he got these teams together, and it's all through meditation, to connections, to through. Mm. So it's very interesting, and his main one in the book is chop wood, carry water, which means regardless of the the situation you're in. Just do what you have to do and make the right decisions and try to, to make the good ones. Mm. My favorite parts of that documentary, just as a tangent, was uh, Steve Kerr. Because like mm-hmm. the Steve Kerr story is just like sick. Yes. I love Steve Kerr. The fact that he was like the backup player, basically, and then got given the ball for the last for the last yeah. throw. Also got punched in the face by Jordan in the <laughs> training session. Yeah. And then uh, just Scotty Pippen's voice. Oh, my God. <laughs> so at the time, you yes. know, me and me and Michael, you know, we were talking <laughs> about the game. And like the, the yeah. voice, the voice was so baritone. I almost felt like it was, it was underground as he was speaking. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I just want to mention Go on. music, of course, two albums that had a huge impact. One is For Your Eyes Only mm-hmm. by J. Cole. Yeah, I've rarely heard something more real than that. I think I've got that album. I have got that album. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> but it's a it's an amazing album, and just listening to it. Forest Hills Drive, I preferred. But yeah. yeah, but if you talk about mental health, for sure, your eyes sure. only is just so real, mm. and it, it can really take you to a better place okay. if you really listen to it and. It's amazing. It didn't grab me in that way, but I might go back and listen to it just to see what you were talking about. Second album, you said? It's not an album. It's a quote uh, in Dr. Dre's 2001. Okay, yeah. Yeah. The message, there's one where he says, he talks about being a gangster and stuff and how real G's don't cry. Right. And then he says, if that's the truth, then I'm realizing I ain't no gangster. And I just, wow. I mean, maybe, I, maybe, maybe Dr. Dre was ahead of his time. <laughs> man, he was. I don't relate to that. No, you know, obviously, yeah, the you don't gangster relate to thing. Life. Yeah, yeah. But... But there's something so true in it and so that I heard as a kid that it's just, you know, okay to cry. And it's Mm. like express emotions and Mm. be emotional and stuff. And coming from him, I think it's really meaningful. Mm. He was literally like in a world that was ensconced in braggadocio. So there you go. Well, who are your, out of interest, who are your favorite rappers now? Are they UK? Are they US? Are they somewhere else? Definitely UK or US. I love Dave. Yeah. AJ. A a good friend of mine. Yeah, I love yeah. him. He's yeah, one of my like favorites, him. AJ. Yeah, yeah, he's he, he's amazing. A legend. A good friend of mine called Righteous Wreck. Okay. He's actually one of my favorite rappers. He's oh, from sick. London and he's he's just amazing. He's not very well known, but he will be, I, I believe Let's that. get him on the pod, we'll see. Yeah, Who man, knows? definitely. I've got two questions left. The first one is, what do you love about yourself? My drive to, to live a good and meaningful life mm-hmm. and to have a... a positive impact on the world i think 
I don't know if I have that, but my, Yet, my, my, yeah, my ambition to have it. That, I, that, I like this about me like and, and the fact that I will do whatever, I, you know, it needs to be done. And as a final question, this is a broad one, so you can answer it any way you want. What more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life, all nationalities, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health, if most importantly, they want to do it? Well, I think it's being more vocal about it, mm-hmm. which is already kind of the case. But when you hear someone that you look up to have a quote like, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to be emotional, it's okay to feel down, it's okay to feel bad, to, you know, have very, very dark thoughts or whatever. I think being vocal about it and making sure that no one feels alone, I think that's the best we can do as society. But it's probably more you know, concrete, like <laughs> tangible tools. Sure. But I'm not an expert in that field. That's fine, man. It's a good enough answer. Marco, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've absolutely loved this chat. Thank you so much for coming on my Behind the Deck series and the Just Checking In podcast and talking to me, mate. Thanks for the invite, man. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Decks. I want to say a big thank you to Marco, aka Baltazar, for being my special guest on this episode and for letting me go behind the decks with him. My favourite Baltazar track, Prince, featuring Mick Ivey, will play us out. And of course, I'll put all of Baltazar's streaming and social media links in the show notes if you want to go listen to his brilliant music. I'll sign us off by saying thank you to all the venters who tuned in to this episode. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or you can support our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk or you can go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk so you can find out more about all the ways you can financially support Vent. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Decks and remember guys, it is always okay to vent. Some
easy when I'm low. 